Hey there, welcome to Dirt Rich, seasonal conversations on food and farming. I'm Katie Federal, and joining us today is Sarah Lindblom and Josh Rhinos to talk about how they've been growing food for their communities with food safety in mind. This season has been a reminder to bring their A-game, as well as an ongoing opportunity to build consumer trust in the local food movement. They've got some reflections and resources for you today, so let's get to it. Hi, Josh. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to Dirt Rich. Hello. Hello. So, Sarah, you've been on the show once before. Uh, Could you tell us a little intro about your farm? Sure. So I have a vegetable operation in outside of Buffalo, Minnesota. I have a CSA of about 40 members, and that is the meat and potatoes of my operation. But I also grow medicinal and culinary herbs, and I also have a small flock of laying hens. And I have also done farmer's markets um, in the past and some a very small wholesale restaurant accounts that I'm not doing much of this year. But um, I grow on about three acres and, well, I guess I should say my farm sits on three acres and I grow on about one acre. So I'm a pretty small scale vegetable operation. All right. And Josh is just a little bit south of Sarah. Tell us about your place, Josh. Sure. Uh, So we are in Henderson, Minnesota. And I, uh, our farm is situated on 40 acres of um, kind of family homestead land of mine. Um, and we have been doing a commercial vegetable operation for 12 years now. Um, the first 11 years of which we were doing a CSA um, along with wholesale accounts and restaurants. Um, In the past, we've also done a fair amount of livestock. We do uh, cattle, uh, pigs, chickens for meat and eggs. Um, We've had goats in the past. Um, Right now, the livestock is very minimal. We just have a a small laying flock. Um, So after the 11 years of doing the CSA, we decided to um, discontinue the farm shares and just go more with a wholesale model. Um, along with developing some new enterprises that you would call uh, permaculture or regenerative um, farming, along with uh, some more like event hosting and uh, agritourism, uh, art and music events as well. So yeah, this is this is our 12th year of growing. We're still growing about two and a half acres of wholesale vegetables. Um, primarily for food co-ops, restaurants, and some schools. So Josh, at this point of the season then, what food safety considerations are you keeping top of mind right now? Right now we are uh, harvesting weekly um, and delivering to uh, the food co-op and a restaurant. So we are full on in harvest mode uh, where we do have to have our pack shed open and uh, follow food safety protocols uh, in in the harvest and packing environment. And we do have uh, kids, you know, we have three kids on the farm. We do have some livestock and we also have people who uh, volunteer to help us out. And we have um, somebody who's staying on the farm with us now. Um, so kind of an on-farm 
helper for the season. So, uh, you know, and we're also our farm is kind of like a community hub. So there are, there are people who want to come by. And so as far as food safety and especially during the um, COVID pandemic, those the, the, the personnel issues are probably at the top of our uh, consideration. And Sarah, then for you as a, I understand you're pretty much a one woman show in terms of harvesting and uh, getting to market. Um, so what, what different considerations are you keeping in mind? I do. So I do have one person that helps with harvesting on CSA day, but I don't have as many of the same considerations for personnel as Josh has. Um, we are harvesting usually two to three times per week. Um, with personnel, I mean, I guess 50% of that is really hand washing and just making sure that there's a hand washing sink available, one-time use, um, hand drying paper towels or whatnot towel. So just making sure that we are hand washing as much as possible. Aside from personnel considerations, I'm really thinking a lot about just, um, I guess, which surfaces are touching food and which surfaces are more what I would call like a secondary surface versus a primary surface. So I try to think about if this is a surface that will for sure be touching fresh food to make sure to wash it as if I was washing dishes in my kitchen or something like that. Um, if I know a surface is a secondary surface, I may not wash it quite as often or as with as much attention to detail, but I'm definitely making sure secondary surfaces that might not come into contact with food, but that will come into contact with a crate, um, for example, or a CSA bag, I'm making sure that those are washed as well. So thinking about those secondary and primary surfaces, hand washing, and then also just making sure things are being stored at the right temperature, making sure things are being cooled as quickly as possible. So I usually wash things in cold water to do that. So you're kind of hitting two things. You're both washing the produce, removing dirt, but you're also cooling it really quickly so that it will have a nice long shelf life and also won't take quite as long to cool once you get it into cold storage. And then of course, um, just like Josh mentioned, now that the pack shed is open, just being aware of general best practices, um, making sure that those, um, you're not kind of getting complacent with those practices and just keeping it uh, on the top of your mind at all times from all the way from harvesting out in the field up until the veggies go out the door. And just keeping in mind that you never know if your produce will end up um, with somebody with a really strong immune system or somebody that maybe doesn't have a strong of immune system. So just keeping that in the back of my mind too. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing everything that you would normally do, but potentially um, just with a, that extra layer of awareness that we've gotten through the pandemic. Is that, is that where you're feeling that you're at with this? I think so. I think it's also just been um, an opportunity to revisit some of these things, just training my person that helps me and also just myself revisiting a lot of these practices. And it's an opportunity to 
keep in mind where maybe you had taken a shortcut in the past where it's like, ooh, that's not a good idea. This is not the year to be <laughs> um, forgetting uh, to wash a crate or something like that. So I would say most things haven't changed. Um, it's mostly just revisiting and remembering these things and making sure to really be on top of your, your food safety A-game this year. I would echo everything that Sarah said. Um, this year in particular, we just, in addition to the normal um, food safety plan that we've had in place for a while and following all of our standard operating procedures and washing uh, protocols, uh, we're just extra vigilant in keeping, keeping public health in mind at every uh, step of the way this year. So how have your uh, market interactions changed or your deliveries, um, any COVID precautions that you've initiated? Well, since most of what we do at this point, um, we don't have to do the CSA, um, like we don't have people coming up every week to the farm like we have in previous years. So that's a bit of a relief. However, uh, most of the as far as the market considerations and deliveries to the markets, it's been uh, our customers that that have sort of um, issued protocols for delivery. So for example, uh, when I'm delivering to the food co-op in St. Peter, um, you know, we're, we're wearing a mask, we're using new boxes, we are, uh, you know, using in past years, we might have gone through the front door and done some shopping and gone to the produce department, but you know we're using the shipping and receiving door, so they just needed to uh, really on, on their end uh, put protocols in place so that all of their drivers of all of their daily uh, goods being received are following a similar protocol. So work, I'm considered just a delivery driver in that regard, and I'm happy to follow along um, to whatever they ask and then uh i'll just say another example is we have a restaurant that we deliver to and in that case they have just a special table um it's basically curb curbside drop off so we deliver to a table on the sidewalk and then give them a call from from the car and say hey it's it's there and they come right out and pick it up so josh one of your major uh wholesale markets is farm to school um, did you need to complete any specific trainings or certifications, food safety-wise, in order to get that um, get those accounts? Well, I should I should start out by saying I've always had food safety as a, a strong consideration in doing the farm, and this is because I came from uh, a lot of years working in food service, uh, not necessarily full-time, but always part-time through high school and college. I was always working in some sort of food service environment. Um, and then I actually uh, got like a food manager certification at one point because uh, my family and I ran a coffee shop and like sandwich shop deli uh, together. So so that, that has always been of utmost importance for me. So that when I started the produce farm, one of the first things I did was I attended a workshop through the University of Minnesota. This was maybe in 2010 or 2011. Um, and they were, they were encouraging small farms in Minnesota to uh, put together food safety plans. So I did that. 
you know, fairly early on in my farm. And I'm thankful I did. It just, it, it takes a while to write all of that and consider all of your <laughs> standard operating procedures and, 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 you know, even to the degree of like, here's how to mix sanitizer solution um, and have test strips available and where to store things. So when it came time for the school, school district um, does mandate a food safety plan. We aren't required, at least not yet, by them to be DEP certified. Um, but they also work with the folks at the University of Minnesota Extension um, with the farmers. So yes, we have to submit, every year we have to submit our food safety plan by a certain date. And then they review it. And then we have a food safety phone call and we talk through everything. And then, then in addition, they also come out with uh, some folks and including if they're using like a third party produce processing uh, vendor, one of their representatives comes out and tours the farm with us and talks over our food safety plan. So I feel like I have a lot of eyes on me, which is a good thing because I want to be held to that standard. Um, I, I don't I don't take offense to to being inspected or toured because it's in everybody's interest to be on the same page. And if there is something I need to address on my farm, I would like to know about it. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know a single farmer who's uh, really interested in making people sick with the food that they've worked so hard to, to produce. Sarah, uh, what do you think the public perception is on safety and the healthiness of locally grown foods? I think that it is being affected by this moment in time where people are starting to pivot a little bit um, in their thinking. I think before there may have been a little bit more, and this was already changing, but I think people were a little maybe hesitant to um, fully trust a local farmer that maybe doesn't have the same oversight of larger scale farms. I know for me personally, um, because I'm at such a small scale, there really is very little oversight. And it is up to the individual farmer to make sure they're getting food safety training and having a food safety plan or having good practices in place because somebody that's at my scale is not really subject to an inspection other than if I invite CSA members out to the farm. That's basically the extent of the inspection that I get at my scale. Um, and those people are obviously not trained in what might be a food safety infraction. So I think people are, are starting to shift a little bit though in their thinking that maybe there are some advantages to smaller scale farms that farmers who are not necessarily incentivized by having to follow requirements, but they're incentivized by a personal connection with their customers and wanting to, like you mentioned, not make people sick through their food. Um, I think we're also starting to see more just food safety concerns from some of these larger scale farmers with the recent um, salad mix outbreak. Um, people are maybe more trusting of a food source where they maybe know the one or two individuals that are handling that food. And especially if you're a small scale farm that 
even if you're not required to have a food safety plan, that's why it's a great idea to have a food safety plan is if somebody does ask about it, you're ready with a response. I have to say most people don't seem as concerned about food safety as I am from what I've observed, but people comment quite often on how clean the produce looks. And I think just using good practices, it really does come through in the quality of your product, whether or not you're being inspected and regulated. And I think that will help increase customer trust of our products as well if we continually and consistently provide a high quality and a clean looking product. I, I also agree with Sarah that there has been some, maybe like people have trusted the institution of our, our larger scale uh, food food system to take care of us and i do also think that is is changing and has been slowly changing but i think the pandemic has really made people maybe trust the institutional global system a, a bit less and you know ha really developing a relationship with your farmer, I think right now, if somebody can go directly to a farmer and buy the food, whereas a grocery store is kind of a scary place to be right now. So I think, uh, I think maybe the consciousness is shifting a little bit and I, I would like the outcome to be that small, small farms and direct markets are uplifted and trusted a, a lot more than they have been. I mean, anecdotally, I had heard that um, at the beginning of the pandemic, some smaller farmers' farm stands were really getting a lot of business. They were selling out of stuff. Um, did either of you experience that? And is that still the case? Do you feel like there's still a run, so to speak, on the local, the local farmers and the farm stands? I can just say that my CSA is sold out sooner than it's ever sold out before. And I had a lot of people calling me asking if I still had shares available when I had already sold out of CSA shares and I was glad I could redirect them to Minnesota Grown or some other farms that maybe still had some available. Um, and I think um, with my model, it's a little bit harder to maybe see some of that demand since now that CSA season is starting up, people aren't looking to sign up as much anymore. But I will say that it does feel like a, a good year for people to really appreciate and enjoy their CSA shares. And I think it's just kind of a bright spot in people's weeks when there's not as much other things going on and cooking at home is turned into a little bit more of people's entertainment these days. So I think there is definitely that I did notice the higher demand in my operation and also just an increased enthusiasm, I guess I would say, for local food as well. Yeah, a part of me was thinking as uh, like in March when we started to hear about all this, um, boy, what a, what a great year for me to get out of CSA. <laughs> but yeah, all of my, uh, I can definitely say the demand for CSA in particular has skyrocketed this year. Um, I'm still in close contact with a lot of other CSA farmers. My next door neighbor runs a CSA and everybody ha has just 
had, the demand has been so high this year. They sold out quick. People have added capacity because of the extra demand. For my part, I also do some maple syruping. So I was able to sell out of maple syrup a lot faster this year. I also butchered some cattle uh, in late March. And so the demand for beef was also very high. Um, and I can safely say there's not a thing I can grow right now that I can't sell. Wow. And I would also add with the egg operation that I added last year, at, especially right in the beginning in March, I saw the demand for eggs increase quite a bit. And I'm still at the point where I am selling eggs faster than the chickens can lay them. So we'll see if that keeps up and we'll see what happens long-term if it makes sense to add capacity if the um, increase in demand is sustainable. And hopefully the chickens keep up the good work too. So, <laughs> so Sarah, I think you touched on this a little bit, um, but I'm curious, you know, both of you are prepared with your food safety plans. Uh, has Have customers asked you for those before? Um, and maybe more individuals rather than I know, Josh, you're actually getting, you know, inspected by the, the school district and whatnot. Um, is it a marketing point for you, Sarah? I think food safety, kind of like Josh mentioned, is something that I've always wanted to be front and center in the culture of the farm here. And whether or not people ask for it, they're going to probably hear about it via either the newsletter or just talking to me because it's such a huge factor in just how things operate, just the whole workflow of CSA Day is completely revolves around food safety. Um, I, I don't have a lot of people that ask directly for a food safety plan, and I'm not sure if that's just because it's been out in the open, so there isn't necessarily a need to ask, or if it's maybe something they just hope that I'm worrying about so that they don't have to worry about. But it's something that whether or not people are asking about it, I'm definitely using it as a um, marketing tool, if you will, but trying to make it, uh, I guess, more interesting than just talking about food safety and kind of, um, like I mentioned, when customers mention how clean and fresh their produce looks, that's kind of a good opportunity to talk about food safety. Um, one example is in my newsletter when I list different items, I'll even list how many times I've washed a certain item. For example, triple washed salad greens or double washed arugula. And that kind of also just gives people a little bit of perspective on how much work the food safety component is. I think people forget all of the different layers that go into growing vegetables and how big of a component just the harvesting and washing of the produce is. So I think any chance we can educate customers on how much work we really put into food safety is just a way to to show the value that we're adding to the product. Even if I've had people tell me before that even though they have a garden, they end up eating their CSA veggies more because they don't have to go out and pick it and wash it. So, so um, as far as people asking for food safety information, I haven't really had that happen yet, but I'm, I'll be curious to hear down the road if that does become a more in-demand type of information, I guess, for customers. But so far, uh, I guess they don't even have the opportunity to ask because it's kind of 
already out there that information? In my years of running the CSA, I don't think I ever had a member inquire specifically about food safety. Um, I think it was somewhat implied uh, through like my sign-up process and the newsletter that I described some of the practices like Sarah's um, does, how, how many times you wash. Um, and maybe among CSA members, there is a little bit more of just trust of the farmer, like some implicit trust, which is a good thing. Um, but I also would would offer the fact that I we we did this, and and people coming out to the farm did see a clean pack shed and a clean walk-in cooler and things being kept nice and put away and organized. That helps a lot. So re regarding um, does it help me acquire other markets? I I really believe it does. I would not be able to sell to a school district without that in place for one. And when I'm approaching other, like a new restaurant, for example, or maybe a new wholesale client, um, it, I think it just gives my operation a lot of legitimacy right away um, once they hear and see that I've already put that in place. And so, yes, it, it does help. And, and certainly I will make sure to mention it when talking to a, a new client because I know that it, it kind of puts you on a, on a professional level and at a certain plane that they're used to dealing with. I, I also have been certified organic since 2010. And that, that also gives some, um, just elevates you to a standard in the eyes of the, the institutional world that you've done your work, you're doing your paperwork, uh, the organic certification certainly does include a food safety component. Um, I wouldn't be able to maintain certification without th these practices in place on my farm. I was just going to add that um, since I've dabbled a little bit with restaurant uh, accounts in the past, I've noticed especially some restaurants that have never worked with a local farmer they don't necessarily know if there's something special they need to do to be able to buy products from you. Sometimes if they're used to just getting um, products off of a truck, it's a bit different than having a farmer deliver it. And if you can have information about your food safety plan ready to go to help educate that restaurant, that's not only helping your customer, you know, your business, but it's also helping kind of pave the way for the broader movement of farm to table. So I've definitely had the experience of having to be one of the first local farmers to supply a restaurant and just get, make them feel good about buying their products from someone besides just off of the food truck. So it helps from that standpoint as well to be informed about the regulations and the best practices. So both of you are actually presenters for SFA's Soil Health for Fruit and Vegetable Growers workshops. And the other week, Sarah pointed out to me that there are likely some connections between building healthy soils and food safety. So Sarah, what are those connections? Sure, and I honestly, I don't know a ton of research, if any exists, about the connection between soil health and food safety. But to me, intuitively, it just makes sense that if you have a more balanced micro microbial activity in your soil that 
you won't have to worry as much about harmful pathogens that might be dwelling <laughs> on your produce. Um, I know that vegetables and plants can have all sorts of different beneficial microbes on them, even small trace amounts of penicillin, for example. So just having a good balance of those beneficial microbes present in your soil, it makes me just feel better to know that not only will the produce have a longer shelf life and storage, but also just the hope that those harmful pathogens aren't present to begin with. And of course, there's no real scientific way for me to know one way or the other. So having good soil health isn't a replacement for food safety practices. But I do think it goes a long way in not only the quality, but just the safety of your produce. And just not necessarily from a soil health standpoint, but just the observation of your fields, just the same observation that goes into soil health practices will help you observe if there's a potential food safety risk um, in the field that you may need to avoid while you're harvesting. I'm not sure, Josh, if you have any other thoughts on that or if you've heard of any more scientific basis for my assumptions. <laughs> I, I have not heard or been done too much reading on any research that connects food safety issues, but Again, I would I would echo your thoughts in in being more. It, it makes intuitive sense to me that focusing on soil health um, not only makes the plants themselves more resilient and disease resistant, and I would argue much more nutritious. Um, it also puts me in a frame of mind that if I'm focusing on soil health. I'm just really focusing on health. And so it, it, it always keeps, in a way, it puts uh, food safety at the forefront in my mind because I'm just always keeping my thoughts present on health in general. I don't know if there's something to be said about the, like, the FISMA food safety trainings. Um, I think like you have to be, you're only required to have the training if you're if your sales are above a certain amount, I can't remember how much it is. It's like it's a lot. It's, it's like, I don't think it's quite a million dollars. A million but it's dollars, or more than like I think I'll ever surpass. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't quote me on that, but but yeah, like as far as I know, even on my scale, which is a, a few acres and mostly wholesale, the FISMA compliance is. I don't know if you call it voluntary, but like I, I, I'm kind of exempt from that stuff. Like I'm not exempt legally, but I'm exempt from having to be audited. Like the Department of Agriculture was sent out several surveys to find out if you're exempt or not. And I kind of just ignored them because I knew I was exempt and they actually showed up at the farm to like ask how much I sell. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I'm not. But I mean, I still went to the training just because, uh, I mean, I guess it was subsidized the first year. I don't know if it still is or not, but just because once you do the training, you're actually set for life on it. So it's, it just seemed like a no brainer to do it anyway, um, for the information and just to get, you do get a certification or a a little certificate in the mail that you took the training and it is like an eight hour training so it's pretty comprehensive 
yes, I would, I would definitely put a plug in for any um, small farmer or beginning farmer who hasn't taken that step already to, to do so. Um, the, the FISMA training for sure. And also um, seek out the, the folks at the University of Minnesota Extension. Um, they're the best resource in the state for food safety um, considerations and help. Uh, they'll come to your farm. They will help you like develop a personalized food safety plan. I really, whether you're going to be GAP certified or organic certified or not, or sell to institutions, I think everybody should be in that mindset um, because it's it's not it's not public knowledge. Not everybody thinks about what is a farmer doing on their farm to sanitize harvest crates, for example. I wasn't aware of all of this when I started, so it was really helpful for me to not only interact and network with other farmers, but also to take some of these trainings and develop a food safety plan. So I was, and yeah, there were things in there that I was like, oh, I've never thought about that. And then once you do, it makes perfect sense as to why, you know, like you have to have a, a rodent trap at every entrance to your pack shed. That's just a, a minor thing. But would I be thinking about that had I not taken that training? I don't know. So I would encourage every beginning and small farmer to seek out some resources regarding food safety. I actually also needed to take that, uh, the produce rule food safety training for a job that I had at an indoor farm. And I remember being very overwhelmed with the number of uh, considerations that there needed to be. And many of them were considerations uh, that we didn't have at an indoor farm. And I was just remember feeling kind of relieved that there were fewer uh, opportunities for mistakes that could have serious consequences in that effect. But I also think that, um, as Sarah mentioned, like the resources that they give you as part of the training and follow it really helps compartmentalize everything and square it away and helps you tackle it in a, a more manageable way instead of just leaving very scared. <laughs> and I think it is really overwhelming when you go and you're spending a day thinking about all of the potential risks and hearing about lawsuits where farmers, you know, got in big trouble over food safety. It does, it can be a little scary, but I think that's the important thing is to think about how can you just mitigate risk because you're never going to completely eliminate every pathogen. Um, but it's really thinking about where is the most risk and what can you do to mitigate that risk. But I also think that the more food safety practices that I've implemented, it always ends up somehow making things more efficient. I know sometimes it's like, oh, I'm spending all this time washing these crates. But um, I just noticed that the better I make my systems in terms of food safety, it seems to also just make my harvesting go a lot more smoothly and more efficiently as well. So I think you can get a little intimidated by it when you go listen to some of those guidelines and examples of things that have gone wrong in the past, but it's just a good way to um, figure out how you can create, every farm is completely different. No two farms are going to have the same exact food safety practices or plans in place, but it's really figuring out how can you make food safety work for you to kind of drive efficiency and also just so you can sleep good at night and think like I did everything I could 
as long as you have good systems in place, if something does go wrong, it really is there to help cover your liability and just make sure that you can keep your customers safe. If something does go wrong, like be able to trace it back to where the source of the problem was. And it's not there to like get you in more trouble. It's there to kind of keep you protected and protect your customers. But it, it definitely can be a little overwhelming, but it's, you can't make that as a reason to once you get into the daily grind to think like, I'm just gonna, it's too scary. It's too overwhelming. Instead, you really have to just tackle it head on and have it be like something you're always thinking about in a helpful way. I wanted to add that I, I think the when the, the whole uh, FISMA rule and the GAP uh, certification um, was was more coming into our world as produce farmers. Um, the reason that small farms are exempt is because they, you know, a small farmer, if there is a, a food safety outbreak on a small farm, you know, a, a few acres, it's not going to make as many people sick as let's say a massive, you know, thousand acre lettuce farm in California. So in one way, that's good for the small farmers that we don't have to do all of the extra paperwork and all of that. But I, I've also seen that lead to an attitude of, well, I'm a small farm, I'm not a risk. So I really, again, think it's important for small farms to take, whether you're exempt from the rule or not, or exempt from audit, uh, take it very seriously because we want to grow the small and local farm movement. And if all of a sudden um, small farms are the ones getting people sick, even though it's fewer people um, in an outbreak, it will erode trust in small farmers. So I think it's, it's, it's beneficial to the whole movement and every individual small farms operation for all of us to have this at the forefront. I think going off of what Josh said there is just that, you know, sometimes as a small farm, it is easy to get into that trap of thinking, do I even, you know, really count as one of these large scale operations that has to have all of these regulations. But I think every individual farm really does play a role in this movement, whether you're a CSA of five customers or you're a farmer's market. Um, you have to just kind of think of yourself as a player in this bigger movement, like Josh says, and have that help drive your decision making to represent us small scale farmers and and represent us well as, as caring about food safety just doesn't matter what size you are. Dirt Rich is produced by the Sustainable Farming Association. We believe that agriculture, done well, heals. For more resources or to tap into the Farmer to Farmer Network, visit us at sfa-mn.org.